Colossians chapter 1, we are looking at the tail end of uh, Paul's prayer. And uh, Paul, from verse 9, has uh, been praying one long prayer. Now, this is the third Sunday that we've been looking at this prayer. But if you look at this prayer in the Greek, from verse 9 to verse 23 is one sentence. Okay. Now, if Paul were writing this in English, he would have failed in English. Okay. That is one long sentence. You can't do a sentence that long. But uh, Paul is passionate about this idea of who Jesus is. You know, and he's heard the Gnostics trying to belittle uh, the Christians and and for them to, to convince them that uh, that Jesus isn't enough, and they've got. Paul all riled up. And so in this prayer, in this letter, uh, Paul is passionately uh, encouraging the believers that in Christ, you have everything. You are lacking nothing. And, uh, and so we are going to be looking at the last part of this prayer, and again, just reiterating all that Jesus has already done for, for us. You know, in, in, in finding God or coming to God, you don't have to go through a bunch of man-made hoops to uh, attain oneness or getting close to God. Christ has already done it for us at the cross. And we're going to see that once again in this passage of Scripture. And so verses 19 through 23, we're going to look at this morning. And the key word of this message is reconciled. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Four things we're going to look at this morning in this passage of Scripture. First thing I want us to see is the Father's reconciling pleasure. What did God take pleasure in as he reconciled us? He took pleasure in putting all of his fullness, all the fullness of the Father in the Son. All that dwells in Christ has come from the Father. And all Jesus is, is all who God is. Now that's, that's a slap in the face to the Gnostics. Because the Gnostics believe that Jesus isn't God. 
That he is, he is the lowest ladder on all the emanations necessary to obtaining oneness with God. Jesus is a good start, but Jesus isn't enough. But Paul is saying, all the fullness of God is found in Christ. And God found pleasure in this. That means the totality of divine power and attributes is found in Christ. The whole fullness of God is in Jesus. Bill Nicholson in his uh, Colossians commentary said this, Jesus is the exhaustion of God. So if you want to know who God is, God is spirit. But if you want to get to know his heart and his nature, just study the life of Jesus because Jesus is the incarnate God himself. And when it comes to Jesus being the fullness of God, there was never a moment uh, in all of history, all of time, in all, in all God's creation when Jesus wasn't the fullness of God. Jesus was the fullness of God in his pre-incarnate state, in his earthly ministry state, and also his resurrected state. Even, even in Mary's womb, Jesus was the fullness of God. And how do we know this? When Mary came to Elizabeth and uh, uh, Elizabeth was pregnant, the Bible says that the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy when she came, when Elizabeth greeted Mary. Because the baby knew that he was in the presence of deity. So even in the womb, Jesus is God. Jesus is the fullness of God. That, that's exciting. So, you know, when people try to convince you that Jesus isn't God, that's heresy. Orthodoxy says for the last 2,000 years that Jesus is the fullness of God. And if you want to, if, if, if you're talking to someone about um, religion, and Christianity, and they sound a little bit off, just talk about Jesus. What do they believe about Jesus? If Jesus is less than God, you know that they're a cult. That they believe in heresy. Paul tells us in his prayer in verse 19, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God found pleasure in bestowing all of his deity into his son. So that's the first thing we see when it comes to reconciliation. Let's see that the next thing we see, what's the father's method of reconciliation? His method is the cross. Is the cross. Church, our our condition our, our humanity was so depraved. We, we were so bad. 
We were so far separated from God. It required God giving his very own life for our reconciliation. There was no other way. God knew that he was going to have to pay the price. And understand this, when God was paying the price, even even on the cross, as Jesus was being was suspended between heaven and hell, dying for our sin, Jesus wasn't any less God at that point. Jesus was both fully God and fully human. His deity did not diminish at the cross. Now there's other religions, cults, who do not believe that. Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus was God. That God would not allow himself to have died, to have been sacrificed. You look at the Muslim religion, they too will say, Jesus, there is no way Jesus could have been God because God would never have allowed himself to be crucified, to die such a horrible death. God can't die. But here we see, in the Gospels, that it required God himself to be our sacrifice for our sin. Jesus had to go to the cross for our reconciliation. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you're asking the question, well, why the cross? Jesus was God. Couldn't he have just said, you know what, I love you. You know, I want to be with you for all eternity. And if you'll just believe in me, you know, I'll forgive your sin. And one day you will be with me for all eternity. That could have been his message. And he could, that could have take, that could have been his message into old age and he could have just died. But that's not what happened. The cross was necessary. From the beginning of the Bible, the Bible was hinting, the Bible was giving us shadows of what was yet to come. Even in Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, rebelled against God, something innocent had to be sacrificed for their shame to be covered. That was a, that was a whisper. That was a hint of what was yet to come. If you look at the book of Exodus and uh, the children of Israel before they're to be led out of bondage from Egypt, the gospel message of the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus. The innocent blood of the Lamb had to be shed for people to be rescued out of their bondage. And if, if the children of Israel would just believe and take that, that blood of an innocent lamb and put it on the doorpost, the door mantle the, the, of, the, of the, uh, their home, the death angel would pass over that home. And all in that home would be rescued, would be spared. 
And they were delivered out from the bondage of Pharaoh. But if they did not believe, that death angel took the firstborn male. Whether it was the son of the home, or if it was the firstborn male animal of, of uh, the family's, what the family owned, death occurred among what belonged to that family. Why? Because God was going to send his one and only son to die for our sin. Die for our rebellion against God. It required the innocent blood of an animal, which was a picture of God the Son, who was going to have to crucify his, his life for our sin. And God made a covenant promise to Abraham. Abraham... I am going to bless all the families of the earth who believe in the God that you believe in, the God that you follow. Abraham wanted to believe, but Abraham had no idea how God was going to follow through with his promise because Abraham didn't have a son. How can Abraham be the father of a great and mighty nation Um, when he doesn't even have any offspring. And he's pleading with God, show me, God, how you're going to do this. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 15 that God put Abraham to sleep. And God made a covenant promise with Abraham. Abraham, I am going to fulfill my promise. And before Abraham was put to sleep, Bible Bible says God told Abraham, prepare a sacrifice. And so there was a sacrifice of animals that were placed on either side. Now, when two parties were making a covenant between each other, uh, they would make a sacrifice, and then both parties would go through that sacrifice. And symbolizing if one of the parties... Uh, broke the covenant that they were making between the two of them, the same thing would happen to that person that has happened to the sacrifice. But here God is. He's making a covenant promise with Abraham. He tells Abraham, make a sacrifice, Abraham. Abraham lines it out, and then Abraham goes to sleep. And while Abraham was sleeping, Symbolically, God passed through the sacrifice and is essentially telling Abraham, Abraham, you can trust my promises. So help me, me. I am making a covenant unto myself that I am not going to break. And God fulfills the covenant promise. And it's a picture of what God would do through his son Christ on the cross um, some 1,500 years later. Something innocent had to die for sin. That's how seriously God takes sin. And as you look at the Bible, the Bible is pretty hard on humanity. 
You know, the Bible's pretty clear, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't take paint a pretty picture of uh, who we are uh, up against a holy God. And you know what? We live in a culture today that doesn't like to hear that. We live in a culture today that thinks, you know what? We're pretty good. You know, I'm, I, I, I know God. I love God. I'm an American citizen. You know, family, God, family, and country. Those are my three priorities. I'm pretty good. I'm a hard-working American. I'm not like those people who find themselves locked behind a prison cell. No, I'm okay. I'm doing pretty good. And they find it rather offensive that the Bible would describe them as alienated, full of evil deeds, doing bad things, hostile against God. But this is what the Bible says in verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things. This is Paul's description. But even Jesus says that we're not good. There's only one that's good, and that's God. Uh, you know, Jesus describes us as evil. You know, even evil fathers will do, uh, you who are evil will do good things for your children. Yeah, but we're evil. Jesus never trusted the heart of man, the Bible says in John chapter 2. Because he knew what was in the heart of man. And so if we're going to believe this gospel message... We've got to believe, we've got to accept the bad news before we can receive the good news. You heard any of those jokes? I've got some good news and some bad news. Here's one, okay? Just to see if you're paying attention here. A lawyer comes up to his client and says, I have some good news and some bad news. And the client says, well, give me the bad news first. Well, the bad news is that uh, DNA tests show that uh, your blood is all over the crime scene. And the client says, oh, oh, oh no, that's terrible. What am I going to do? What's the good news? Well, the good news is, is that uh, your cholesterol is down to 130. <laughs> One more. I've got some good news, this doctor. I've got some good news and some bad news. Well, what's the good news? Well, the good news is they're naming a disease after you. Hey, you did pretty good with that. One more, okay? Gallery owner. I've got some good news and some bad news. Artist. Well, what's the good news? Well, the good news is that a man came in today asking that uh, if your, pa- your paintings will go up in price if you die. And, uh, and I said, yes, they would. And so he bought every one of them. And the artist says, oh, that's great. What's the bad news? That man was your doctor. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? That's kind of like the gospel. You've got to accept the bad news 
before you can receive the good news. And the bad news is that our sin separated us. We were alienated. We were full of evil deeds. And our culture today doesn't like that. I was reading a blog. Uh, uh, it's called Pathios. And uh, this blog is uh, from an individual, this uh, atheist who's growing up in the Bible Belt, I think in Alabama. Uh, he, he was born and raised in the church. He went to Bible college. He went to seminary. And, and uh, he was studying to be a pastor. And he got to a point where um, he just walked away from all of that. And he's been writing this blog, trying to influence um, those who follow him ever since. And the reason why he walked away from Christianity is because um, the message of Christianity is that you have to think so low of yourself. You know, there's this negative thinking that you have to be self deprecating about who you are before a holy God and he believes he's not that bad and he just wanted to get rid of all these negative thoughts and he just wanted to put people around him that would just fill his mind with positive things of who he is and so he writes about this But the Bible is clear. If we're going to receive the good news of the gospel, you first have to be willing to admit that you are a sinner, separated from God. The Bible is clear about this. But God did something about it. God sent himself in the person of Jesus and died a death that he didn't have to die. He didn't do anything wrong. But because he loved you and I so much, he took the punishment for our sin. The way that God's method of reconciliation for us is through the cross and the cross alone. And the Bible has been clear about that from the very beginning. What is the purpose of God's reconciliation of ourselves to him? Verse 22 is to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. And here's the good news, church. Yes, we've got to believe the bad news that our sin separates us from God. But Christianity gives the brightest, highest, and most life-giving vision of man that is second to none. All because of what Christ has done for us. If we'll just believe the good news of the gospel in the eyes of God... Scripture describes you as justified. Just as if you have never sinned. Again, not because of the good things that you've done. No, but because your life is hidden in Christ. Remember the container? Okay. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. And Christ is in God. He's got you covered. And so when God looks at us, 
he looks at us as holy and blameless and above reproach. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel like that. But we can't live our lives on feeling. We have to live our lives on what the Word of God says. And when you go up to Bob Tharp and you ask Bob Tharp, how you doing, Bob? You know what he'll say? I'm perfect. And you know why he says that? Because he's speaking the truth. In the eyes of our Holy Father, we are holy and blameless and above reproach. That was God's purpose in reconciling us to himself. That our sin would be wiped away. That's happened spiritually. But gosh darn it, we still live in these earth suits, don't we? And this, this human flesh, this nature still wants to do selfish, um, selfish things. Thinking that, you know, this is going to fill the void in our life. It's not going to fill the void. Jesus is the fullness of God. When you have Jesus, you have the fullness of God. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only Jesus can fill the void. And so our responsibility in receiving this by faith is number four. Verse 23. Paul says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Go back up to verse 20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What Paul is saying in this, in this, in this passage here is in knowing these things, Paul has been praying for us that our mind would be filled with these things. If you walk worthy of your calling, like we saw a couple weeks ago, as you walk worthy of your calling of the gospel in Christ, your responsibility, my responsibility is to remain stable, steadfast, full of faith and hope in the gospel. And as we obediently walk in these things and this truth, we will have peace. We will have peace. Listen, Jesus didn't save you to give you peace. Jesus saved you. Jesus' purpose, God's purpose in saving you was to make you holy and blameless and living a life above reproach. And as you remain steadfast, stable, believing the truth of the gospel, the byproduct of that lifestyle is peace. Do you have peace today? 
I don't know about you, but I don't have peace when I'm not doing what I should be doing. When, you know, I try to convince myself, well, God's going to let this slide. You know, this doesn't matter. It all matters. Because when I try to convince myself that it doesn't matter, life gets haywire. I don't have any peace. I'm not a good manager. I'm not a good steward of what God has entrusted to me. But in those moments, in those times that I am walking worthy of my calling in Christ and trusting Him, circumstances can be out of control. But I've got a peace on the inside knowing that God is completely in control. And so this is Paul's encouragement. Again, he's writing to the church. And he's telling us, guys, stay stable. Stay steadfast. Continue to believe the hope of the gospel. And you will have that peace. When we're reconciled with God, when we come to that place and we turn it, oh, everything over to him, he becomes the Lord of our lives. You know what? The enemy hates that. And the gates of death will try to get come up against us to get us unstable, to get us to become discouraged, to get us to quit. And when those events are occurring in our life, church, Christian, Paul is saying, remain stable and steadfast. Don't go anywhere. Again, he's writing to a church. And part of that stability and steadfastness is staying in church. You know, there's times I get discouraged. And I like to stay home from church. I can't do that. And so if I feel like that sometimes, I know you feel like that sometimes. And look around. There's a lot of empty seats this morning. You know what? There are some people who are discouraged. They're not remaining stable and steadfast. You want peace in your life? Keep holding on to the hope of the gospel. Remain stable. Remain steadfast. That is our responsibility. And you're going to be talking more about this in your life group this week. Life group this week, you're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, The word reconcile is very important in that passage of Scripture. But part of this reconciliation that Christ has done for us is that the gates of death are going to come against against us. But as the gates of death come against us, they can either discourage us or or they can be used to help us grow closer in our relationship with Christ.
there's a video um, about uh, a farmer raising um, uh, a lamb. Uh, the the mother uh, the mother sheep had twins, uh, a boy and a girl. Well, uh, something happened to where that mother sheep was rejecting that uh, that little girl lamb, and. Uh, that little lamb kept going back to its mother, but that mother kept turning its back on that little sheep. And the the, the illustration is that, uh, you know, sometimes people that we trust, people that we love, people that we put our confidence in, they turn our back on us. What happens at that point? Well, the farmer said, you know what, I'm looking forward to raising this little sheep. This little sheep is going to have to be hand-fed and raised. And as it's hand-fed and raised, you know what? This is going to be the most loving and caring little little sheep that uh, <clears throat> that uh, will just be very affectionate and loving to to human beings around. You know what? That's what God. That's what the good shepherd does for us. When we don't put our, when, when life rejects us or people that we've put our confidence in, they're not there for us anymore. You know what? The good shepherd, the good shepherd who laid his life down for us, who reconciled us to himself, he comes alongside and he's there to care and nurture and walk with us in our time of struggle. That's what Romans chapter five is all about. Christ has done all of these things in our life, church. And we come to learn these things not by focusing on man-made religious laws or dietary rules or, you know, things like circumcision and things, other things, trying to do these things to gain, to earn God's approval. No. God has done it all for us. We just have to believe. This is the gospel, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Be steady. Remain steadfast. Stay connected to the church because this is who you are in Christ. Walk worthy of your calling. Don't let anybody look down on you that you are inferior to anybody else. No. In Christ, the fullness of God dwells in you. By faith. Let's pray. That's good news. God, help us to always believe that good news. And I know the enemy wants to come alongside of us and and uh, uh, get our eyes off of you and kind of convince us that uh, there's... There's more to be uh, experienced that's apart from you. There isn't. All our fullness, all of our peace, 
of our holiness, our purpose in life. Jesus is in you. Lord, if there's one here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, may they surrender. But may they just admit today that their life is separated from you. God, you don't want to remain that way. You came and you died so that we could be with you. You loved us so much that you died because you didn't want to spend eternity apart from us. There's no greater love than that. There's one here this morning that needs that relationship with you, Jesus. May today be their day of their salvation. For the rest of us, Father, we just want to say thank you. We want to remember. We know this morning that it's all because of you and you alone. God, help us not to keep this good news to ourselves. We know of others who are struggling. God, they're experiencing the consequences of their sin. But God, you can make them holy and blameless and above reproach. And if they'll just walk in that truth and believe all that you've done for them, God, they can have the peace that they are looking for in all the wrong places. Thank you, Father, for Paul's words to us this morning. Help us to go from this place full of confidence of who you are and what you've done for us. We worship you in Christ's name. Would you stand with me, please, and let's worship.